We've come to the part of our service this morning where we're going to hear from God's Word. Um, we're going to hear from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9. So a little bit before my, what might be on the screen. Uh, so we're going to start at verse 9 and read to verse 20. Um, but let's pray before we do that, please. Father, let's, uh, we thank you that once again that we can open your Word. We thank you that it's uh, the way that you speak to us and that you show us and you teach us. Father, just pray that you'll uh, once again soften our hearts to your words, that your Holy Spirit may come and dwell in amongst us here this morning and that you'll teach us, that you'll encourage us and that you'll bless us through your words this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. So Sarah's going to come and read and then after that John's going to come and bring our sermon to us. Reading from Colossians 1, chapter 9 through to 20. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All right, thank you. If you do have a Bible, open, keep it there, or, or your favourite electronic device as well will work. There's an outline of where we're headed, um, which has also um, the passage in it as well. If you want to know the answer to why we started on verse 9, you have to wait till the end of the sermon, so sorry. Um, when, when did you last... Um, when were you last amazed about something? You know, standing amazed. I mean, maybe it was like me. Last Saturday, clean sweep of the crows over that other mob. Anyone with me? Anyone with me on that? So uh, maybe not so. But um, or maybe it was you know the first time you laid eyes uh, on your other half walking down the aisle. Um, or maybe uh, it was the birth of your children. When were you last amazed? Were you amazed, marvelling, uh, as I shared something of how God has saved Gemma and Loki and Taylor? up there in Roxby. 
Isn't it amazing to hear how the Spirit is moving among First Nations peoples? Uh, the voice, of course, that anyone from any nation needs most is that voice advocating for them at the right hand of our Heavenly Father's throne, isn't it? Is it not amazing? How marvellous is it to read in the Trinity Network's last update of the six people who were baptised, declared their faith uh, in Jesus recently at Trinity City, uh, but of course not to be outdone down here on the south coast. The seven people who have been baptised through the ministry here at Victor Harbour. Look at that. Some of you are here this morning. Who who, who are part of that crew? It's great, great. The Apostle Paul has opened his letter to these Christians that he's never met, these newish Christians in this new little church plant meeting in Philemon's house. There's Tychicus. He's been sent by Paul reading out the letter to this lounge room of Christians. And first and foremost, Paul's wanting to teach them just about the astonishing significance of their faith in Jesus as Gentiles. How amazing it is. How the story of Christ's church in Colossae, it illustrates how God's word of truth about Jesus was bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. Their story was being replicated and repeated in more and more places around the world and still today in places down here in the south coast. How can it be, though, that now any person of any nation with any rap sheet from any background can be qualified by God to share in the inheritance of resurrection life with Jesus in the new heavens? I mean, how how can that be? How can it be that rebel humans at enmity with God could be transferred from the realm of darkness and sin and, and death to Jesus' kingdom of light and love and life now? And in eternity. I mean, how can that be? Of course, we learn from the opening pages of the Bible, don't we? That God has always, in eternity, attended for humanity to flourish, to be fruitful and to multiply. And of course, they lost their way very early on with with, um, Adam and Eve, didn't we? And, And one of the things that Paul's trying to say here at the start of this letter is that now God's purposes for the human race are being realised through the gospel. As the message of the gospel bears fruit and grows, bears fruit and multiplies as people join themselves to Jesus as their Lord. What is now and and will forever be the most potent and most powerful and important force in the whole universe until Jesus' return? It's the gospel. It's the message of the gospel. That same message that Epaphras brought from the Apostle Paul from, uh, to, to friends and neighbours there in Colossae, the same message that the McDonald's have taken to Roxby Down, that Jack takes out, is taking out a community that has been brought down here that you're taking to the people of the South Coast. The most powerful force in the universe that can transform, transfer a human being from from darkness to light, the gospel. And we're here, you're here, as beneficiaries, you've been on the receiving end of this 
most powerful and potent force in the universe. How, stu- how amazing is that? When were you last amazed by that? And it helps explain, I think, why um, there's almost like a, a shift here in verses 15 to 20, why these words are here. Because how, how can this be? How can the gospel be the most potent force in the universe? Because of who Jesus is, who he is. And so I think Paul writes for Christians then and now here in this little passage today, just that we might see Jesus more clearly. Because to see and know Jesus more clearly is to stand in awe and wonder, to stand amazed. Not just that is saving grace to you, but to others as well. And I think we can look at it, um, breaks up nicely under the two headings that's in your outline there, Christ's supremacy and the creation of all things, uh, Christ's supremacy and the reconciliation of all things. So who is Jesus? Well, verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God. In the beginning, people were created to bear the image of God. God created man and woman in his image. In the image of God, he created the male and the female. Genesis 1.27. Humans were created to love God, to love our neighbour, and to responsibly care for all that God had created. And of course, only three chapters in, um, uh, humanity loses their way. We, fall, we have fallen far short of God's best for us. Um, you ever played lawn bowls? Anyone? Got any lawn bowlers down here? Um, see, as we're born as human beings, we're all lawn bowls, aren't we? We're born with this bias, you know? You need the bias in a bowl, it's just whoop. Um, and, and that's what a human is, you know? There's God and it's like whoop, you know? <laughs> we just, we can't help ourselves. Left to our own natural instincts, we're just like a lawn bowl. And that's the case. I mean, or, or think of a, a, I thought of bringing one here, but I uh, changed my mind of dropping a mirror on the floor <laughs> and letting it shattered. You know, we're, we're like a shattered mirror. God looks upon us and says, you are, you are nothing like my image. What did God the Father declare at Jesus' baptism, though, and his transfiguration? This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. That is, this one, he alone, beautifully and perfectly, images me. He reflects my character in every way. This son is everything like me, everything, completely and perfectly. It explains, I think, why Jesus got cranky with Philip there in John 14, isn't it? You know, Philip says, Lord, just show us the Father and that's going to be enough for us. You know, and Jesus replied, you know, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And it's why the Apostle Paul writes there in verse 19, isn't it, of Colossians 1, that in Jesus... Not some, but all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, I've tried to say good day to most of you if you've walked in the door today. It was a bit like you were walking into a footy match. There was a crush at the door and as if something exciting was going to go down this morning. Well, I, I, I pray it does. But if you've walked in the door this morning looking for God, then here he is, this Jesus Take a good look at this Jesus. Get to know him. He's authentic God through and through. God's power for your life, for human flourishing in this world and the next. But how can this be? How can this be? Second half of verse 15 there. Because he's the firstborn over all creation. Now still in some families today, the firstborn or the eldest receives the entire inheritance. Anyone here willing to put their hand up? You know, received a lot. Um, 
But I was thinking about this, you know, to receive an inheritance comes with responsibility, doesn't it? you sort of got to rule over it properly. You've got to be responsible for it. And it's really the idea behind firstborn here in the Bible as well. It's about being first or supreme in rank and rule. And so we've got again in the opening chapters of the Bible, all that God creates before humanity is created, is given to humanity as their inheritance with the responsibility to rule and care for it. Now, I don't need to convince you because the evidence is everywhere in the world and in your life and mine, how far we've strayed from God's purposes for us. But undeterred, God's purposes of grace remain the same. And so he revealed his forever plan for human flourishing um, in lots of places. But Psalm 89 is, is, is one um, place of relevance today where he promises that another firstborn, a son of King David, would come and his reign would be supreme. Supreme in dominion but also eternal in time. And so from Psalm 89, 27 to 29... God promises that I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. I will establish his offspring forever. And of course, Jesus is this firstborn who by his death and resurrection, he not only inherited all people of all nations, but also all power and authority over all things. All things. In the whole universe, in the whole cosmos, Jesus is supreme. So wherever humans can travel today, in the future, wherever we might be able to travel um, in the future, in the cosmos, whatever other God we may compare to Jesus, he has no rival, no rival. He is so far other and above and beyond. There is none greater than Jesus. And I think this explains the reaction that people had to Jesus' miracles and his teaching in the Gospels, isn't it? You know, they were just stunned by his authority. We have never seen authority like this because we've never seen God's firstborn become flesh. Paul goes on to explain why Jesus is who he is there in verse 16, doesn't he? That little word for, for by or in him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for him. Whether visible or invisible, Jesus rules over it. And the invisible forces, I think, that are particularly on view here are those forces of the spiritual realm that are opposed to God and opposed to humanity, that are out to destroy humanity. But even these are under Jesus' supreme rule, says Jesus. And so, for example, in Jesus' cross, we see how God sovereignly uses the worst evil, humans crucifying the Son of God, to achieve his most glorious purposes of grace, don't we? And so from Acts 2, we read that this Jesus, who was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up. Humanity did this, but it was all according to God's foreknowledge and purposes. Well, but turning to the visible 
uh, I guess, what we can see, feel, touch, smell around us. You see, whether we're looking um, at the creation through a Hubble tel- telescope or, or an electron microscope, it's in, by, and through Jesus. God's made it all. He's sustaining it all for his glory. Like you might hang a picture on the wall, Jesus has hung the universe in place and everything in the universe in its place, including every person, you and me. Now, I spent six years uh, training in the sciences as a medical doctor. I, I, love, I love science, love what it discovers, reveals, uh, technology, how, you know, it's, it's, it's powerful in all sorts of ways, isn't it? But let's just take your body, for example. You know, what has science dis- discovered about what a human being is? Did you know that you, there's enough water in you to fill up about 40 litres? Um, if you ever run out of soap... Don't worry, there's enough fat in you for seven bars of soap. Think about that the next time you're in the shower. Um, I need something to write with. There's enough carbon in us for 7,000 lead pencils. How about that? Oh, I need to light a fire. There's enough phosphorus in us for 2,000 match heads. (laughs) Oh, goodness me, that piece of wood is falling off the fence. Well, don't fear, because there's enough iron in you for one nail. (laughs) So if your, other, your better other starts calling you interesting names after today, I'm sorry. But here's another interesting fun fact. Did you know that during the approximately 25,000 days of your life, you'll spend about three and a half years eating, uh, two and a half years on your phone. The facts get more, more fun. You will shed 19 kilograms of dead skin. Oh, but this is my all-time favourite. <laughs> you will grow 1.6 metres of nasal hair. That's beautiful, isn't it? How cool is science? How cool is science? Seriously. But of course, science can only hint that there there is a why, isn't it? And so, of course, some scientists like Richard Dawkins, they suggest that purpose is a nearly universal delusion and to ask what it is for a human being is a really silly question, but not according to Jesus. Jesus who hung Richard Dawkins in place, every cell, and is sustaining his life. See, the whole purpose of it all, it's there at the end of verse 16, isn't it? Two little words. All things were created by him and for him, for him. Now, I need you to be courageous here. You ready? I grew up when music was cool. Okay? Anyone ever grow up listening to a band called Kiss? Kiss, you with me? Has anyone ever been brave enough to have a KISS birthday party or celebration, you know? Anyway, they, they, they had this song. And um, again, more courage now. Does this one ring a bell? I was made for loving you. And? Oh, goodness me. Let's try that again. Come on. I was made for. And you were made for. And it goes on and on, right? But of course... No, no, not according to Jesus. Humans were made for loving Jesus, for loving Jesus. The people of the South Coast, Roxby, First Nations peoples, given life by Jesus for Jesus, for loving Jesus. All people, all things were made for Jesus. And I'm so sorry because I know that none of you can get that song out of your head now, can you? Okay, all right. But we've got to keep saying it, don't we? For Jesus, for Jesus. Oh, new day, for Jesus. New week, for Jesus. Planning a new year for Jesus, for Jesus. Everything Paul has said about Christ's relationship to all things in creation, though, 
It's summed up there in verse 17 beautifully, that Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. And that's why, of course, again, everything is for Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus Nazarene, who was crucified about 30 years before these words were penned. This Jesus that is without beginning or end. This Jesus has never not been the son of the father. He's never not been supreme over all things, all people, all powers. They owe their very existence, continuation and orderly coherence to him. The only reason we can do science and observe order is because Jesus gives the order. Sisters and brothers, this eternal son of God is the one who died for you. Can you see why we just should begin every day amazed? This Jesus for me gave his life for me. And it brings us really probably to the the climax of this part of scripture, Christ's supremacy and the reconciliation of all things. As Paul continues, we expect Paul to say something like, you know, Jesus is the supreme ruler of the whole universe or the cosmos, but he says, oh, he's the head of the church. <laughs> feel a bit of a, you mean that grubby, the church, you know, that grubby thing that's always in the news and what? Now, of course, the word church is just a word that means gathering, assembly. So here we are this morning, assembled, gathered. The Apostle Paul He's wanting us to appreciate again the splendour of Jesus who's overall and the astounding thing that Christ is doing through the gospel. The astounding thing this Jesus is doing as he builds his church everywhere, gathers people from any and all nations one by one and gathers them like this this morning. That, that you are here gathered is, it's amazing, it's astounding. Because it's only by the grace of God in his son Jesus. There is no more important or powerful thing going on in the world than Christians being gathered by Jesus like this. And look, Mark would have talked about this last week, but there are so many people and places that have no Epaphras, no Duncan, no no Steve, they've got no one to teach them about Jesus. And sadly, more and more as you drive through country towns and remote communities and drive past the the church buildings, locked door, locked door, locked door. How sad is that? Will you pray with us to the Lord of the harvest to be raising up more people to go? I'm not saying go to Bible college and, you know, if you've got a career that can be used anywhere, why not give it over to Jesus? And think about a season. Go and have a gospel adventure for Jesus. You just never know. You may end up having the time of your life, like Lee and Ruth are, retired. Up in Darwin. Well, again, it all comes back to who Jesus is. It's because he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, verse 18. What's Paul saying here? 
that by Jesus' death, his resurrection, Christ is a brand new beginning of something so brand new that, that it's even more astounding than Jesus being over all things in creation. And of course, this new beginning is the church, the foretaste of things to come, the new heavens, the new earth. In Christ's death, God has opened up a brand new future for a perishing humanity who are at enmity to God. And he's done it as the firstborn. He is the firstborn of not only all things in the present, but he is the firstborn who reigns and rules of all things in the future. Now that's a pretty big mind-expanding thought for a Sunday morning. <laughs> Whatever day, however far into the future, Jesus is already there ruling it. The whole lot. The new heavens, the new earth that are coming with him, he, he, he's already supremely ruling over it. See, there's, there's no time in, in history, there's, there's no place in the cosmos we can go where Jesus is not firstborn, he's not, he's not utterly over it all. It's a beautiful title for the, for the series, actually, Overall. Because he's got all the power, all the authority over all. And as we finish off this passage It's because of why Jesus is who he is and what he's done, isn't it? That little word for again. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself or in himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now the rest of the passage is going to go and talk a lot more about that. So um, is that you, Brian, next week? No? Whoever's next week, but more on that, but just think with me, surely God the Father is within his rights to dispense justice and punish humanity for, for, for rejecting God, for killing his son. But instead, and, and it's so easy to miss this here, but instead we read it was God's good pleasure. God's good pleasure, his delight to reconcile all things in the death of his son. Now, when were you last on the receiving end of someone's good pleasure as their enemy? But notice that not only is it through Jesus' death that rebel human beings are reconciled, it's to Jesus they are being reconciled. But but what is this reconciliation of all things that is coming? I mean, how can that work? I mean, through the gospel... Jesus is reconciling enemies to become friends of Jesus, which Paul goes on to lay out in what follows this passage. But does this mean that everyone's going to be saved in the end and so we really don't need to worry about getting the gospel out? I mean, you know, everyone, everything's just going to be reconciled. She's going to be fine in the end. No, no, no. There's a, there's a much bigger sort of reconciliation that's on view here that we're very familiar with. We are very familiar with. A time is coming when Jesus will bring peaceful order and unite all things under him. As all people and all powers who are against Jesus are justly dealt with. I was trying to think of an example here. It's a bit like an an accountant or an auditor comes in and reconciles the books to bring everything back into order. I had a mate of mine, he picked up a job at one of the SNFL footy clubs a few years back. Uh, went in there, he was really excited, he loves footy. 
But as he got into the books and tried to reconcile things, what he discovered blew his mind. Some of the people in that club had been committing fraud. The numbers didn't add up. And so he put everything into order. He reconciled everything. And those people, well, they not only lost their job, they went to jail. (laughs) And that's the sort of reconciliation that's on view here. When Jesus comes again, it's going to be the ultimate royal commission of all things in the cosmos with Jesus alone, the judge. The cross is Jesus giving his life for our forgiveness and reconciliation now to avoid the greater reconciliation that is coming when he returns. Enjoy reconciling forgiveness from Jesus now or reconciling judgment from Jesus then. But one thing you can be sure, this firstborn, the firstborn, this supreme ruler who is overall, when he comes, there will be order. There will be order. As we finish, if Christ really is supreme in the way that Paul is laying out for us in this passage, what should that mean for us? Well, I think first and foremost... Are you saved? Are you safe? Have you done what Loki and and Gemma have done? Have you done what Taylor has done? Are you saved and safe? Have you surrendered your heart, your life, your everything to, to this Jesus as your Lord? There is no refuge from Jesus, only refuge in Jesus. In the gospel, God is inviting any person from any background or nation to come now and to be part of his brand new future with him in eternity. I don't know if anyone here can identify with Taylor's story, but having experienced so much abandonment in her life, Taylor is learning that she and her little boy will never, ever ever be abandoned by Jesus. That she is a forever child of God who is forever under Jesus' protection and forever safe in his mighty strong arms. Dear sisters and brothers, do you really believe in your heart of hearts that there is no more potent force in the universe than this gospel of reconciliation? That Jesus alone is God's purpose and power for human flourishing. Why did we start the reading at verse 9? Because today's passage is part of one long sentence in the original language that begins with Paul's prayer in verse 9. If you like, this part of scripture is the answer to how it is we live a life that is truly worthy of our Lord and Saviour. How can you endure and be saved in the end? How can you leave here determined to bear the gospel fruit of knowledge instead of ignorance? To know peace instead of hostility, goodness instead of evil, truth instead of lies, love of neighbour instead of love of self. Well, by seeing Jesus, this Jesus, and surrendering it all 
to this Jesus. To begin each day begging your God to help you to see more of the splendour of his son for you. And we finish where we began. It's the invitation to stand amazed. To stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love you and me, a sinner condemned unclean. To stand amazed that he took all of your sin and mine, all of your sorrows and mine, he took them to that cross. He made them his very own, bore the burden to Calvary, suffered and died alone for you, for me. To stand amazed and to sing your hearts out, perhaps like never before, with joy, with tears, with love. How marvellous, how wonderful is this Saviour's love for you and me? How wonderful, how marvellous. Invite the muses up now. If the musos would like to come up, I think that's my, we might have that opportunity to do that right now. As they come up, can I just pray for us? Merciful Father, thank you for this beautiful reminder from these truly majestic words that are all about the splendour of your Son. Please, please, will you open our eyes, remove the scales, help us to see more and more clearly the splendour of your Son for you and me. Father, please will you fill our hearts with such gratitude, with such thanksgiving that abounds in marvelling amazement and wonder. And may this so enable us to live such lives of grace and of love that truly sees our neighbour blessed and your name believed upon and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.